Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Today we are talking about Hispanic and Latino heritage and identity. I'm Jade Hindman. Here's to conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. Hispanic heritage is not a monolith, so we'll talk about how people identify and why. It's more of having conversations and also at the same time knowing and exploring who we are as individuals within the Latin American community. Plus, two SDSU professors share their own experiences with finding their identity, and we'll talk about the role the Spanish language plays into identity. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. San Diego State University is one of many Hispanic-serving institutions in California and across the country. They've got a Latinx Resource Center, a Chicana and Chicano Studies Department, and a Center for Latin American Studies. So how is the university supporting its Hispanic and Latino students in finding a sense of identity and community? Well, I'm joined now by Emilio Ulloa, the Associate Chief Diversity Officer of HSI and Regional Affairs at SDSU, along with Renzo Lara, the Director of SDSU's Latinx Resource Center. We're talking to them about their lived experiences with navigating their own identity and helping students on campus do the same. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Glad to be here as well. Glad to have you both. Uh, Emilio, I want to start with you. SDSU is designated as a Hispanic-serving institution, HSI for short. What does it mean for a college campus to be an HSI? Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question. At its basic level definition, it refers to uh, eligibility requirements that a campus has to meet to be able to apply for grants under um, a federal program, right? So um, what it means is that 
a campus, an institution has to be accrediting university that that has at least 25% of its student body who self-identify as Hispanic or Latino. And there are, you know, other requirements under the federal guidelines for, for that. But I, I think it's an important question because that isn't necessarily what it means for our students. That um, we, uh, across the nation, there's been a movement to really think about the true meaning behind being a Hispanic serving institution, as opposed to just um, you know thinking about those minimum requirements for for federal guidelines. And so, um, what we do at SDSU and others other institutions do across the nation is is try to think about in what ways we are intentionally serving our Hispanic Latinx population. Um, in ways that make them feel like the campus is culturally affirming and welcoming. And at SDSU in particular, we don't just think about those experiences for students, but we think about um, what the campus climate is for faculty and staff and students. And one of the ways you all do that is through the Latinx Resource Center um, with the Office of HSI Affairs, really to help Hispanic and Latino students adjust to college life, but staff as well. Is that right, Renzo? That is correct. As Dr. Emilio Ulloa mentioned, uh, we particularly serve our, our students and really trying to look at the serving this aspect, being really intentional. And yes, we have a large enrollment of Latino, Latina, Hispanic students, but the center here itself is really intended to, one, ensure that they have a welcoming space, two, that they are able to then be connected to people that are similar backgrounds, and three, we're able to help them with their academic journey in college, uh, also worldwide experience here at San Diego State. And we do that with, we have peer students and we also have uh, full-time staff uh, that are all dedicated to the uh, success of our students who visit our space. I also wanna dig into identity here. I mean, what Hispanic, Latino, and Chicano identity means. Each term has its own different history and different culture even. So how do you each personally define yourselves? Emilio, I'll start with you. Yeah, thank you for the question. I think it's really affirming. I, When people ask me about how I choose to identify, I say I'm Chicano. That, that identity en- encompasses a lot about what my values are, um, not only um, the region of the country, uh, the, the region of the world that my heritage stems from, but also my place in this country uh, with respect to um, generations, generational status, and also, um, as I sort of alluded to before, the social and political values that are important to me. So it's a choice that I make personally. I will say that I do have an affinity for other terms in terms of feeling like I belong to those those groups as well, which I hope we have a chance to get get into. Um, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latine, Hispanic, for different reasons and in different contexts. But I love the I love that you're asking the question. My uh, ethnic identity of choice is Chicano. What about you, Renzo? Yes, uh, similar. And, and one of the things I do want to stress is that uh, you know both Emilio and myself, we are not historians or researchers. We were coming from a, from a lived experience in terms of what we see when we're engaged in a community on a daily basis. So this is again our lived experience. So for me, it's 
one, I would say that I'm Mexican-American as I was born in the United States, but I have Mexican heritage from both of my parents. Uh, I would also add, yes, the same, same definition as Chicano based on the activism, based on the aspects of social movements and so on. And then I would also throw in there for me as somebody who identifies as transborder, because I do have family in the, the cross border in Tijuana and in San Diego. So I had the lived experience of living in, in, in Tijuana as a child and then moving and migrating to the United States when I was uh, a preteen. So for me, it goes even deeper into those, those terms, but those are always great conversation pieces. We always engage in those dialogues with our students and the community. I always say it's never a solution we're going to come uh, out of this in terms of the dialogue is more of having conversations and also at the same time uh, knowing and exploring who we are as individuals within the Latin American community. Yeah, if I might add to that as well, one of the things that, that Dr. Lada and I have talked about that's really important to make sure that we that we say in this space here is that um, we're reflecting on the fact that that these choices is uh, uh, choices about how one identifies are extremely personal, right? And that they are a function of not just a person's background and history, but how they intersect with the world, how they've how they've come into contact with or have or or, or have not with institutionalized racism and and experiences of discrimination, and each person's choice is a function of their journey. And, and so we are higher education practitioners. Um, and so um, we kind of think about these in terms of how we interact with our students and how we interact with our colleagues who are faculty and staff. And we just want to advocate for, for what we do, which is essentially to have a deep, deep respect for the choices that individual people make about their own ethnic identity you know, we have our own and we hope that people respect the choices that we make and we we have a deep respect for the choices that other people make based on their own lived experiences. Well, and both of you identify as Chicano. So what is Chicano identity and how is it different from Hispanic, Latino and other identities? To start, but I'd really love to hear Dr. Lada add on to this. Um, so my own personal journey um, comes from two places. I first heard the term Chicano because I'm a second generation college uh, student. My dad um, went to UC Riverside and it was very involved with the Chicano movement, the educational movement that, that was happening in, in California and in the Southwest. So um, a couple of years later, um, I was born and I grew up around the terminology. And he also, uh, you know, did a lot of work as a um, as someone with a law degree in in rural legal assistance um, around issues of immigration and farm working rights and that sort of stuff. And so these were terms that I that I heard often that I associated with not only being Mexican American, but also around service and social justice um, and, and those ideals. I will say though, that even though I heard those terms often in my life, I don't know that I truly understood what it meant to be in a place to make that choice for myself until I started at San Diego State University and started learning about the movement, what it entails, um, why people um, identify 
with that term and with that movement. And I took some, uh, a few Chicano studies courses at SDSU in particular. So similar uh, experience, right? So for me, I mentioned that I was born in the United States in San Diego, but quickly within less than uh, two months, uh, we moved back to the border with my family is in Tijuana. So I had a lived experience as a child for 10 years in uh, across the border. And so then I immigrated, migrated and settled in the United States. And so for me, I experienced a lot of this sense of assimilation, really tried to uh, embrace what we call, right, the the so-called American culture. And so a lot of the times it was suppressed in terms of who I was as an individual. And similar to Dr. Yoa, myself, when I got into college and when I got to San Diego State, I really started to learn about the empowerment aspects, the activisms of the Chicano movement in the 1960s, really a process of reclaiming our heritage, reclaiming who we are from our ancestors, from our elders, from the from Aztec, Machica uh, experience, all the way up to going back to policy in the 1960s and trying to, in- to integrate ethnic studies and high schools and so on. So for me, it was a process of reclaiming who I was as not only Mexican-American, but this really empowerment, empowerment term called Chicano, which stood, it stands for this sense of activism, the sense of reclamation, the sense of uh, ideology behind our communities. And, and really, uh, you know, anybody can really identify as Chicano, but uh, it really started with the Mexican-American communities. And for me, that was a process. And, and when I finished my, my studies as an undergrad, I really started to take hone of that term. And to this day, I do as whatever, whatever I do in the Latinx Resource Center, whatever I I am deeply uh, immersed in the community, not only here, I also oversee a nonprofit that really focus on our low-income Latino youth. And it all encompasses a sense of activism, sense of empowerment. So for me, that's what it means to be a Chicano, and that's why I embrace that term. Still ahead, I'll continue the conversation with SDSU professors Emilio Ulloa and Rinzo Lara. They're learning a lot about their own histories, about their place contextually in the the U.S. and at, at our institution. You can join this conversation, too. What's been your experience with finding identity and culture in San Diego? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. Leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. We're back after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
Welcome back to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. I'm speaking with Emilio Ulloa, the Associate Chief Diversity Officer of HSI and Regional Affairs at SDSU, and Renzo Lara, the Director of SDSU's Latinx Resource Center. We're talking about Hispanic and Latino identity and what it means in higher education. So Emilio and Renzo, since you both work with students, I'm curious to know how are students thinking about their identity? Um, Are they raising any difficult questions right now? Or what do they really want to know and understand? That's a great question. Um, And in a lot of ways, the the flow of information is bi-directional. What I mean by that is that our students teach us a lot about what's on their minds and what their priorities are and what's important and really push the trends. And at the same time, they're learning a lot about their own histories, about their place in, in contextually in the in the U.S. and at, at our institution. Um, one thing I, I think is important to, to share is that um, we do sort of reach out to ask questions of our students, both in formal and informal ways. And one thing that I think is fascinating um, is that their answers reflect a little bit about where their mind is and where their focus on social justice is and 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 where um, we need to pay attention to where we should go with these terms. But also in some in some cases where they are developmentally, you know, there is a, a developmental component to ethnic identity um, that we that we have to consider and that we have to respect. Um, when we survey our students and we ask them in an open-ended way, um, how do you identify? we get a wide variety mm-hmm. of answers from our students who, um, at, at least by virtue of their applications, you know, have identified as Hispanic or Latino. Um, the answers they give us uh, range widely, some based on uh, their nation, the, the, their background nation of origin, so geographically placing themselves as Honduran or Me- Mexicano or Mexican, um, others embracing the gendered terms Latino or Latina, um, some preferring to be called Hispanic, um, and yes, a few choosing to identify as Chicana or Chicano. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really fascinating sort of the variance in, um, in, in the ways that students identify themselves, which is, again, a function of, I think, their own lived experience, but also the, that developmental process as well. I will say that in addition to that, we we do learn a lot from our students. And I, I think that our attention that we are paying to emphasizing the inclusive nature of these terms, when we when we are attempting to describe the community as a whole and choosing to use non-gender, non-binary gender terms is largely at the at the urging of our students and what's important to them in terms of, of uh, society and their priorities. Mm-hmm. I would uh, also add to that, that there is a distinction between having a general term, right, in terms of, I mentioned, I oversee the Latinx Resource Center, uh, but that is different, as Dr. Emilio mentioned, regards to the development aspects of our students, how they identify. So we started this conversation with how we individually identify, but in terms of where I'm filling out information, right? So if if you're asking me personally in terms of if I'm filing a government form and that is the term Hispanic, then I would choose that if you're asking me and other aspects of if I speak Spanish and, and cultural traditions, then I would say uh, 
yes, Latino, Latinx. So, so there is a sense of individualism that goes into this. But in terms of general terms, we often see Latinx uh, uh, and Hispanic as being identified as those general aspects of it. Yeah, and um, and again, the caveat uh, not sort of um, can't be overstated that we are not historians or uh, ethics mm -hmm. studies um, uh, experts. But we, but you know, it is true that these terms have an evolutionary aspect to them. Um, the the term Hispanic, just where it comes from, you know, it, its origins are are very deep, but they were mm -hmm. very prevalent in 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 the government's sort of census work, and the rejection of that term because it didn't really, it, it didn't work for the for the Latin American community, and so you see an evolution to Latina and Latino. Um, and then an evolution from there to be gender inclusive and, and in parallel, the Chicano movement happening at the same time. And at each of these, these stages of evolution, you have folks who don't agree with those evolutionary changes for different reasons. Um, and that's why I think we get such a variety of, mm -hmm. of choices that people make and, and also why I think we have to respect people's choices in terms of those terms. Yeah, I feel like, you know, some of that resistance to uh, being called Hispanic was from people not wanting to identify or, or at least identify with the identity that colonizers put upon them. Is that kind of accurate there? Yes, that that, that is one of what we see at times, especially as we saw in terms of being in Hispanic being used as an ethnic identifier uh, during the 1970s uh, census. And a lot of that, again, from my lived experience at Chicano, I can say at first, so yeah, I, I didn't want to identify as Hispanic because I was, my process is more of reclaiming who I am from my own individual identity. And as we see the evolution of this term where Latino came, came around in the 1990s, that became a pan-ethnic term to describe individuals from Latin American origins that included more sense of culture, tradition. And as we continue to see the evolution in the 2000s, we see the inclusion of, of X to add individuals who identify as non-binary, gender neutral. And then now we also see Latine, which uh, they can be used interchangeably with Latinx, Latine, but that is more fitting with the Spanish language in terms of also replacing the gender-based terms or uh, terminology in Spanish. So there's a wide range of explanations, but yes, those who at times don't want to don't want to be identified as Hispanic, it is tied to government aspects, colonization uh, of what others have put the terms on our communities. At the Latinx Resource Center, anybody can come in and, and identify how what they would like. We've done these workshops, we've done uh, conversations, and ultimately at the end, I think individuals leave with those conversations having more questions than answers. And that's okay, because for us, it's never uh, trying to get to a, a an end and saying, this is what everybody needs to identify. It's more of about the process and the journey. Yeah, I would say this is probably a good place to to interject as well about the fact that that as a community we really are not a monolith, and and even even regionally, if you think about the Southwest, um, our history, our our historical differences just between Californians, um, 
New Mexicans and Texans are interesting in the context of this conversation as well. We talked about people having sort of geographic preference for how they identify. Um, and, you know, uh, shout out to all those Tejanos out there. Mm -hmm. um, and and also, I think it's important to note, um, so I married a woman from New Mexico, and I can tell you that my California experience was one that shaped my sense for what was right and what made what made sense. And um, in in New Mexico, the the connection that they have with the term Hispano is really different and it does not have that same rejection that you referred to when it comes to colonization. And it makes sense because the history in that region is in fact very different from um, many of us in California or even Texas. Yeah. As we continue this conversation about identity, I want to talk about communities that may be overlooked. I mean, do indigenous students identify with these labels? And, you know, how is the campus working to be uh, more inclusive of Afro-Latino and indigenous students? Well, I'm glad you asked that. That was one of the, that was my follow up point as well as that, because if you look at the Latin American region, right? It includes over 30 countries. And what I like to include as well is not only Latin American countries, but also going beyond uh, our borders. Because if you look at culture, uh, immigration, uh, migration patterns, we know that our communities are all over the Western Hemisphere. And for us, it really it trans transcends borders. And we know within those borders, we, we have indigenous communities and, and they've been there for millennia. So it's important to know and just Latin American itself, we have over, you know, over 500 indigenous groups that speak over, you know, hundreds of different languages and or dialects. And for those communities, they really don't embrace Latino or Latinx or Hispanic because again, it doesn't tie into the culture, the language, the roots, of the traditions of their indigenous regions. So yes, that is very important to, to note. And again, this is, goes back to the conversation, the point I made about Latino being a generalist term, but it doesn't include certain groups in terms of that. And you also mentioned Afro-Latino, Latinx. That's another conversation that we're, we're trying to also have. They're all dialogues that as it goes beyond, right, the general term. So for us, in terms of what we're trying to do is that we we do at the Latinx Resource Center is that we have pro educational programs, we have dialogues, we have uh, professors from different departments come in and do uh, conversation pieces. Uh, we call it sometimes, uh, we're trying to launch more of like cafecito con, like coffee with. So it becomes more of a dialogue uh, in more of a non-threatening, more open environment in our center to have those conversations to, to really educate. Uh, because as I mentioned, Latin America is vast and our students are coming in and they're learning so much from one, one each other, but also from the community. So that's one way that Latinx Resource Center uh, embraces that inclusion, really talks about the, the difference and really makes it a point to point to, to highlight the difference in terms of uh, Afro-Latinos, uh, individuals who come from, who have African ancestry, descent or heritage, and also indigenous communities that they've been eating for millennia and they and have customs and traditions that we must respect. 
Yeah, and I think when we have these conversations about how people identify, and largely in in the work of uh, education and sort of what administrators um, are tasked with is sometimes to try and capture an entire group in a message or an email that goes out. But one of the things that that um, one of the ways that that restricts us is it it doesn't allow us to really embrace the intersectionality of inter, of identities. Um, and so some people may identify as as Latino to some respect, but may have other identities that are important to them. And depending on context, you know, may 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 the salience may be different for them in different in different spaces. And so um, it, it just makes the conversation really interesting and complicated. But we need to save room and have a respect for those intersectionalities and not just with respect to. Um, the complexity of of Latin American countries and and the fact that there are like we you know we we come in different colors um, we we are white black um, so uh, uh, mestizo um, but but also that individuals come from from mixed race families and um, they are uh, they they require respect for for the different sides of their backgrounds um, that that are important to them and that they value. And so it, it, it's complicated, but it's also beautifully diverse. And, and I think it's it's ironically one of the things that that uh, Dr. Lara and I have talked about really loving about our community is, mm -hmm. in fact, how beautifully diverse we are and how we we aren't really one thing. We are we're we are a lot of things and we we oftentimes come together as one. This was such an enlightening conversation. I've been speaking with Emilio Ulloa, the Associate Chief Diversity Officer of HSI and Regional Affairs at SDSU, along with Renzo Lara, the Director of SDSU's Latinx Resource Center. Thanks to you both. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Coming up, how Spanish language fits into identity. Spanish is a great tool to connect, whether it's with your family, whether it's professionally. And we take this position that it doesn't define, you know, how Latino you are or not. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. A recent study from Pew Research found that the majority of Latinos in the U.S. speak Spanish, at least somewhat. But for U.S. Latinos who don't speak Spanish, more than half reported being shamed for not speaking the language. The findings led my next guest to explore the intersection of language and culture 
when thinking about Latinidad or Latino identity and the tension that often comes with it. Alejandra Molina is a staff writer with the Los Angeles Times and its De Los section, which shares stories about Latino culture. Alejandra, welcome to Midday Edition. Thanks for having me. So at the heart of your article, you're trying to make sense of this Pew Research study about Spanish and Latino identity. What did this research find? Yes. So some of the major findings from the Pew are that, yes, most U.S. Latinos speak Spanish, but obviously not all do. And when you start factoring in the third or higher generation Latinos, there's a much higher share were not Spanish speakers. And and it did find that almost half of U.S. Latinos who don't speak Spanish have been shamed because of it. And they've been shamed by other Latinos, um, whether it's friends or family. And many Latinos did report hearing, you know, other Latinos make jokes about those who don't speak Spanish. And another important finding from the Pew is that most Latinos do say it's important for future generations of Latinos in the U.S. to speak the language. But most also say that it's not necessary to speak Spanish in order to be considered Latino. And I thought it was interesting also that the Pew factored in the use of Spanglish, which is, you know, the use of both English and Spanish, how widespread it is among uh, U.S. Latinos. I think a majority did say that they speak a combination of both Spanish and English. So, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, many Latinos who do not speak Spanish or feel they don't speak it well enough often feel shame. Unpack that for me. Yeah. And so I think back to my conversation with Jackie Rodriguez and Wendy Ramirez of Spanish Sin Pena. So they created this online space where Latinos can learn and reclaim the language. And in talking to them, um, what's interesting about what they do is that they provide a space for Latinos to kind of unpack this emotional baggage that they feel by not speaking the language in a, in a way that they wish they could. And so what by that baggage, it's, you know, a lot of the shaming. And I thought it interesting that the Pew actually asked about whether Latinos feel shamed by other Latinos because of it, because I think this is the first time that they've ever asked that question. And so in talking to Spanish Simpena, I learned that, you know, their students, they do feel like they're not, they're, that they're not connecting with a side of their Latinidad if they don't speak the language. And so, and Spanish Simpena takes this position that, you know, Spanish doesn't identify, you know, your Latino, Latinx, Latina identity. And the way they use Spanish, the way they see Spanish is as a way to connect. So so they can better connect with their family who does speak Spanish or professionally in their job. And they brought up the fact that many of their students are multiracial and how some of them feel that if they can't speak Spanish, they can't really claim that Latino side of them. And so they brought up a lot of stories of like Latino educators who want to get better at Spanish to connect with youth and their families, or even nurses who want to get better at translating certain information. So to Spanish Simpena, they do take this position that, hey, Spanish is a great tool to connect, whether it's with your family, whether it's professionally. And we take this position that it doesn't define, you know, how Latino you are or not. Um, so that's one main takeaway that I got from Spanish Simpena and how 
people see Spanish as a way to identify with their Latino side of them. Yeah. And and it's interesting, given that, you know, Latin America includes Mexico, most of Central and South America, and um, in the Caribbean, Cuba, the Dominican Republic, and Haiti. Um, and so many different languages are spoken. Of course, there's Spanish, but there's also Portuguese or French. Um, how does all of that play into Latino identity? Yes. I mean, I think for Latinos in the U.S., there's different ways to connect with their Latino identity. And yes, Latinos come from all those areas that you mentioned. And language is one way, one big way that I'm learning that they use to connect with that, that side of them, that that culture that maybe because of growing up in the US, you know, we feel like we lose some of it. And so so language is a main way for them to feel like like they're Latino enough, like we're Latino enough. You know, there's, do you use sports sometimes? You you root for the Mexican home team to connect with your team, whether it's a Salvadoran home team to connect with your with your um, Latinidad. There's food, there's religion, but uh, but Spanish is is one big way that that I feel like we've a lot of us feel like we need to speak it and we need to speak it well because we are like hyphenated. And so um, it's just a lot of unpacking that you have to do. Yeah. I mean, do Spanish speaking Latinos embrace Portuguese uh, or Latinos who speak Portuguese or Latinos who speak French as Latino? I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure if <laughs> those, generally, you know, it's yeah. the same, you know? Yeah. But yeah. But yeah and, and, and writing about, you know, when I started writing about Latinidad for the times and I've only been doing this uh, for a few months and um, I'm learning that Spanish is just plays such a central role and, and, and unpacking it. There's so many layers on why we don't, I mean, some of us don't speak it on why we don't speak it a certain way, because there's a difference when you speak it conversationally in your family, but when you, you know, get in the workforce and you, have to use a language it's 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 a different t- kind of spanish that you have to use professionally so some of us are lacking in that and me included you know i grew up speaking my first language is actually spanish but you know in the schooling system it's all english so you forget a lot of it and so um so it's just constantly trying to to maintain that that language to keep connecting with my parents and my grandparents so, and my, my family who, who uses Spanish more than me. And, you know, there is a, a generational element to all of this um, around Spanish speaking. Talk to me about that. Yes. So earlier this year, I uh, wrote a, a story about this video that went viral of um, Mexico fans cheering outside of SoFi Stadium. So it was um, part of the CONCACAF Gold Cup and Mexico won. And so the, the fans were wearing a Mexico jerseys and they were cheering. And um, a reporter, a Spanish language ESPN reporter approached the fans and he approached uh, a young boy and he was wearing a Mexico jersey. And he started just asking him uh, this quick line of questions in Spanish. And, and the boy, you could tell he didn't, wasn't expecting the reporter to approach him. And then it was like this series of questions that were really fast in Spanish. And all he could say is my name, what? And so this video went viral and, you know, you, 
a lot of people were criticizing, you know, and layers of emotion, of, of bashing, of, you know, went to the parents who didn't speak, didn't like do a good job at helping this boy speak Spanish and how that's a Latino's responsibility, some said, and uh, and they lamented this this missed opportunity in not teaching the child Spanish at, at home. And one tweet that went viral was, raise your kids not to be, you know, part of this yo no sabo generation, this generation that doesn't speak the language. And so I I spoke with people in reaction to it. And I one conversation that uh, stands out is this conversation I had with Jennifer Najera. She's a professor of ethnic studies at UCR, at UC Riverside. And she talked about just being part of this generation where her mom grew up in Texas during the 1950s. And, you know, children at the time would be punished for speaking Spanish. So um, her mom didn't want her children to go through this. And so she made it a point to have her children speak English and speak it well. And um, maybe Spanish wasn't prioritized in a certain in, in in that same way and so uh jennifer grew up speaking english and spanish was never really taught and so as she grew up she wanted to to connect with that side so she learned spanish herself and then she had children and she talked about how hard it is to teach your children the language when you grew up speaking english and you you connect personally with the language that you grew up speaking. So, and then when her children, you know, go up to daycare, the dominant language is English. So it's just, there's so many layers and so many complications that need to be factored in when people don't speak the language Spanish in a certain way. And and so it's important to consider all those layers and, and how, you know, later generations uh, factor into this. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. I'm speaking with Alejandra Molina of the Los Angeles Times about Latino identity and its connection to the Spanish language. And Alejandra, you touched on this earlier, but what role does Spanglish play for Latino people who are not fluent in Spanish? Yeah, so I think Spanglish is really important for many of us here because when we can't fully you know, in my, when our brains are trying to speak both languages, sometimes you you mix both of them. So uh, sometimes you resort to Spanglish to get your point across. And in talking with Spanish Sin Pena, uh, the online space where, you know, Latinos work through uh, learning and, and speaking Spanish, um, they really embrace the use of Spanglish. And um, for them, Spanglish is, is as they told me, it's it's not only part of our identity, but it, it allows us to start where we're at. So when you're communicating with somebody who speaks Spanish and you're trying to get your point across, you're going to do whatever you can to get it across. So a mixing of both languages is just going to happen. So as long as they understand what you're trying to say, then good. You you communicated with that person in any way you could. And in in learning Spanish a bit more and learning not just any you know, pronunciation and, and grammar, but also just conversation how you're trying to get your point across, Spanglish is 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 really important because it's a, it's a starting point. It's like, and from there you can learn other uh, more more about the language. But yeah, Spanglish is very important, not just for identity, but as a starting point to to get to speaking more of Sp- the language. 
Yeah. And you're part of a team of reporters with the Los Angeles Times working on the Delos section, which declares looking to our past to find our future. Can you tell us more about Delos and what the process has been like to launch it? Yes, so I am part of this new team called Delos, and Delos translates into of the, so we're of the LA Times. And um, and also it's a way to say we're of both sides. So there's a common phrase that we hear uh, a lot for Latinos in the U.S., you know, that you're neither from there, you're neither, neither from there or from here, ni de aquí ni de allá. So our mission, our, our you know, motto is like, we're from both sides. We're from there and from here. And so in our coverage, we we try to capture that. We try to capture that, in, uh, you know, what does Latinidad mean uh, for U.S. Latinos? And um, and so a lot of what we write about is, you know, different different points of identity. Spanish, for example, I've, I've written a lot about how Spanish ties to your identity. We write about religion. We write about pop culture. We write about um, music. And so um, we factor all these things and and we always tie it back to what does it say about, about Latinos in the, U- the U.S.? What does it say about your identity? So we always try to explore more of that in our coverage. And we just launched in mid-July. Um, we are, um, our presence is we're on, in the LA times, we are, we have our own presence on social media, on Instagram. We do a lot of, um, collaborations, uh, with other, uh, uh, you know, freelancers and influencers. We do social videos. Um, we do social videos posing the questions like, how do you identify? What do you identify as Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, and why? Um, so we do, we do a lot of that. And one cool thing about Delos is that we have a community engagement editor and that editor's role is to really facilitate discussion, uh, community, and, um, we try to make our presence, um, uh, a physical presence as well in, in out there in in different communities, um, across uh, Southern California, but our coverage is not just in California. Obviously we focus on Latinos across the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Finally, you know, what do you hope readers take away from your article looking into how Spanish plays a role in Latino identity? I think one thing that I've learned in writing, uh, this story is I think we just need to be more kind to each other. Um, and, contextualizing um, our experiences and our identities a bit more because there goes, there's a lot that goes into whether you speak Spanish a certain way or not. And it's just understanding, you know, those experiences a bit better because I think it's easy to, to kind of shame somebody else for not speaking it, but you don't fully understand the reasons why. So, you know, just being more kind to each other and understanding where we, we come from. I've been speaking with Alejandra Molina, staff writer with the Los Angeles Times and its De Los Initiative, exploring Latino culture and identity. Alejandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So how have you found identity and culture here in San Diego? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. You can leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. We'd love to share your thoughts here. Don't forget to watch Evening Edition tonight at 5 for in-depth reporting on San Diego issues. 
We'll be back tomorrow at noon, and if you ever miss a show, you can find the Midday Edition podcast on all platforms. I'm Jade Hindman. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.